وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين اللهم لا سهل إلا ما جعلته سهلا وأنت تجل الحزن إذا شئت سهلا اللهم أعنا على ذكرك وشكرك وحسن عبادتك يا رب الكريم السلام عليكم رحمة الله وبركاته to everybody who is here, to everybody online, let's shout a few folks out. So London, mashallah, in the house, Ilyas, Adil, and Rivers as well, mashallah, to Widad, Ambreen, to Auntie Shakila from the States, to Baji Amal from Sheffield, I think she's still in, Farida, how you doing? The twins are there, and uh, the Buzo ones are there, half there, and then Baji Marina, deciding not to come to the masjid tonight. That's okay. Alhamdulillah. Something for everybody. We have Anna as well. And uh, other folks. Zakumullah khair. All right, folks. So, um, what's the plan? The plan, uh, firstly, is that we have a clean one hour's time limit. This is the last lesson in Chido for a few weeks. Um, and the times we need to be on top. Yeah. So, I know, as I said last week, the people who are online normally are on top of this. But the, the people who are in the masjid are not really kind of either part of the Telegram group or they're neither part of the portal. But if you go to the portal, the logicalprogression.org portal, you'll see all the times for the next few days, for the next few weeks. You'll see all the details you need. And of course, in a Telegram group, you'll get all the details as well. In summary, in summary, um, uh, so today's lesson, probably uh, have five or ten minutes maybe of Q&A at about 8.20. Jama'ah is at 8.30. So we, we finish early. It's a short lesson today. And the last one, that will be so short because of, is it? 8.45. Oh, 8.45, sorry. I thought it was 8.30, so uh, eight. So we'll, we'll, get, we'll get a clean hour of our lesson and then we'll do some Q&A. Alright, next week, inshallah, inshallah, if everything goes well, then the lesson will be broadcast live from Al-Aqsa, inshallah. Um, and we're hoping to do it a little bit different next week. And by that, I mean uh, do it from Masjid Al-Aqsa. Last year, we decided to do it from the rooftop of one of the hotels with a view of the old city. And as a result of that, there was a qu quite a lot of traffic noise in the background. And so we're going to do it live. To do it live from the uh, masjid means that we have to, uh, if you want to do it like live live, I mean, as opposed to pre-recorded. Because I know folks don't like the pre-recorded ones. And so therefore, to do it live will mean it needs to be earlier. And so that's going to be a UK time of approximately 4.50 p.m. Right? Keep an eye on the Telegram group, whatever. But 4.50 p.m. UK time. Obviously, many of you will be studying and, and or working and won't be able to attend that live. But anyone who is able to in any of the countries, then uh, feel free to attend it live uh, online. I mean, and then um, but of course, the recording will be available at a time when you come back from work. Those folks who miss it as a result of work or whatever, then please try to ensure you at least watch the recording the same night so that you maintain the uh, your discipline, right? Because that, that is important as well. So that's inshallah from Aqsa next weekend, uh, next uh, Wednesday. And then, then Wednesday after that, it will be 7.30 p.m. UK time. It will be broadcast inshallah from Makkatul Mukarrama, Sharrafahallah, at about, um, yeah, uh, local time 9.30 over there. Um, for folks that want to try to attend locally again, Telegram group, might be from the Conrad Hotel, might be from the Hyatt Regency, still haven't made up our minds on what's going to be better for the class. But from a UK point of view, 7.30 p.m., um, which is the same time as today, all right, for the international uh, attendees today, same time as today. Then a week after that, we're back in Chido for a good four or five weeks, and the new time will then be after Isha, and that will be changing. Uh, it will be pretty stable, all right? 
So after Salatul Isha, meaning it will be now after 8.20 and we've got a bit more relaxed sessions for the Q&A sessions afterwards. Again, the most important thing is to keep an eye on the uh, Telegram group and the portal. That's the first thing. Second thing is that I wanted to thank those folks that put themselves forward for volunteering, whether it was for transcription, whether it was for referencing. And I wanted to um, uh, ask if there are any, well, anybody else, then please go ahead and um, uh, 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 volunteer as well. Put your name forward. It's not for much time per week. The team is very organized, very, very well managed by Mesa. And she will be giving out, you know, a very specific kind of 10 minute tasks or, or half an hour tasks per week. Very manageable. Lots of uh, return for it because the work that's produced is, is fantastic. And many people benefit from it. And the projects that we have planned with that content is also big, with big vision, big ambition. So the, uh, the time that you give will have a, a great impact, inshallah. So lpnotetakers uh, at gmail.com, lpnotetakers at gmail.com. Mesa, I think, will put that email on the website, uh, on the portal right now. All right, folks. So what I want to do today is to actually finish ambitious, as Widad likes to remind us that we never do anything more than our standard four, six pages. Today, we're going to target 10. And the reason we're going to target 10 is because um, we actually discussed quite a bit of the stuff in its wrong place last week. So last week I was saying I don't want to talk about this just yet, but then we jumped into rain and we jumped into mud and we jumped into whatever. So it's, you know, we've had some of the discussions already, but let's see. And then I want to be able to start from Aqsa, I want to start the new big chapter and it's a massive chapter. It's the chapter of the legally excused, right? Ahlul A'adhar. And Ahlul A'adhar is going to quite possibly dominate the, the, this academic year. Those who have legal excuse, whether it's because of injury, sickness, because of specific conditions, because of political conditions, because of all various kinds of realities and understanding how they offer their prayer. Uh, adverse weather when you're on your ride and all kinds of stuff. Yeah, and that is actually very, very interesting and very relevant as always. All right. So we start from the Sharah. Um, we're at the bottom of page 314. Actually, I should read it, shouldn't I, uh, Shaz? Right, I should read this. What, am I do what did you say again? At the bottom, yeah. Uh, righty ho. Yeah, that's great. So, the Arabic for today's session is going to be well, I'll read all of it. وَيُعْذَرُ بِتَرْكِ جُمْعَةٍ وَجَمَعَةٍ مَرِيضٍ وَمُضَافِعٌ أَحْدُ الْأَخْبَثَيْنِ وَمَنْ بِحَضْرَةِ طَعَامٍ مُحْتَاجٌ إِلَيْهِ وخائف the translation of this final uh, section for today, inshallah, uh, and this is the subsection of the excuses that are, are possible to rescind the Friday prayer and the congregational prayer, meaning they don't become obligatory upon you for, for you to attend. One is excused from attending the Friday or congregational prayer when he, one, is sick, is holding back urine or feces, is in the presence of food that he is in need of, fears that his property be misplaced, lost or damaged, Fears the death of a relative, that's what we're starting today. 
fears the death of a relative, fears for himself from either injury, the authorities, or a debt collector for something that he can't pay back, fears missing his friends depart, is overcome by drowsiness, and fears being harmed by the rain, mud, or strong cold wind in the dark of night. All right, so these are the remaining kind of reasons or excuses that a person can miss the, or not attend the Jama'ah and the Jumu'ah of Friday. So we're at the bottom of page 314 for the commentary. Uh, Sheikh Uthameen, alayhi rahmatullah, he says, let me just get back into the portal. He says, He goes, this is the fifth, uh, and I, to, uh, to be honest, I, I've lost the system of the uh, numbering. He's using like uh, uh, dividing up the numbers in a way which, um, which one person's 10 is another person's 11 and whatever. I mean, the numbers are not really that important. But he goes, that this is another uh, reason that a person can use because uh, of not attending. Um, because he fears that if he was at the Jama'ah, then the one that he's with might pass away. Now, I know that folks... Uh, you know, I just want to, uh, um, I bet that when people hear that, they're like, duh, right? I mean, how obvious, you know, would it be? Sure, of course, you know, you're meant to be by the side of your deceased or dying, sorry, relative. Um, I think there's a couple of points that we should, should remember here. First of all, Qareeb here does, in Arabic, mean normally a family member, but it also means someone who's close, like the linguistic meaning. So the linguistic of Qareeb, everyone knows what Qareeb means, it means close. Technically, that means a family member, right? However, there is no evidence to restrict it just to family member. And so therefore, what I want you to start to notice in these remaining few points, and I think it's very interesting for us this, yeah, especially when it comes to things like planes, and also when it comes to the way that we feel today in the current political climate, is that you find that emotional damage, right, um, is a significant one, a real thing. It's not just a kind of a theoretical, it's, it's not a snowflake kind of soft excuse. That emotions are to be considered um, as important as actual physical reasons. So you know, if there's a hurricane outside, there's nobody who's doubting that, right? There's nobody that's doubting a hurricane. You can see the damage, you can't drive, you, can't, you get hurt, you might get blood, whatever. But if someone says that I'll be so, so upset, you know, that I'll be very, very emotionally disturbed if I missed the death of so-and-so or so-and-so passed away and I wasn't there, etc. That's very interesting. We're going to see in a few pages time that there's going to be then one of fear as well. And it's not necessarily a fear of losing your life, but a fear that someone's going to grab you anytime and give you stress and headache. So that goes to show, and we already spoke about the issue of uh, the, uh, the going to the toilet. Right, and the fact that that needing to go to the toilet is an excuse not to attend the jama'ah shows that your heart should be able to focus, because that's what's not focusing. Right, you're constantly thinking, and uh, you know, or the food that you're thinking about at home, your heart is dominated. That means your heart's not focused, which again is kind of like more in the realm of emotions as opposed to physical uh, uh, characteristics, which goes to show that a that. Um, our internal and external factors need to be in sync, that our emotions and spiritual condition all need to be in tune when it comes to standing for salah, and that significant threat to any of these is an actual legal reason to not attend the jama'ah. That's a benefit to learn. But the other benefit is, is that that therefore should make us assess how we stand to, to, to prayer. 
And so if you're seeing the scholars speak in such a very... And why is it important, by the way, by the way for them to enumerate these? Because these scholars all consider it to be an absolute obligation to attend the Jama'ah. Don't forget that. Any person who prays at home is sinning. That's the default position. Any person who prays at home is praying valid prayer but has sinned. So they get sin for offering a valid prayer. You might say, what does that even mean? It means that you don't need to repeat the prayer and you got punished for it. That's the legal definition. And that's not just a weird, you know, random opinion. It's the opinion of the Hanbali school. It's the position of Ibn Taymiyyah. It's the position of Sheikh Uthameen. It's the position we kind of reluctantly kind of adopted in this class as well. Only because the evidences are overwhelming. That's the only reason. Yes, I told you that my heart is with the majority, but my mind, my rational mind with the evidences is with the ahadith. Now, the majority said it's a highly emphasized sunnah. But I mean, don't think for a second that the majority think that it's some kind of plaything. When they're saying highly emphasized sunnah, they're also throwing it out there that what excuse do you have to not attend? Now, the point I'm, I, I'm kind of making is that when you set your stall up and say something is an obligation, then you've got to also set your stall up and be very, very clear what's going to get rid of that obligation as well. And so in that process is some interesting gems to pick up. And when you start to realize just how important a person should be in state of mind, state of heart, we then should reassess our prayer, whether you're praying alone or whether you're praying in a jama'ah. It's a real introspection time for us to reflect how really, you know, prepared am I for the salah? How do I, uh, you know, approach the prayer? Do I get rid of everything that's in my heart and in my mind? So I think that you should think about that. Anyway, so this specifically, there's a person there who's about to die and he wants to be there in his last moments. Specifically, he wants to be there to give him the talqeen. Talqeen is to say, you know, to tell the, 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 the deceased, La ilaha illallah, either telling them, say, La ilaha illallah, or when they realize they don't have the mental capacity or physical ability to say that, then they just repeat it softly and gently so that it becomes a rhythm that the one who's listening then picks up. So there's both ways of telling something, one's direct, one's indirect. And, and other things. And it means Sheikh Uthameen is basically saying, give a positive uh, uh, vibe, right? Now, the fiqh of death is now getting closer, meaning that I thought it was not going to happen, then it was going to happen, but it does seem that it's going to be the big launch of the rest of this year. And when it ends, when it launches, and I have been waiting for this for a long time, there are a couple of very, very important subjects that I want the community to, to you know, spread and learn and at the top of that list is the importance of realizing that when a person is dying, they know everything and you think they don't. That's number one on my list. Okay? That when a per I want you to imagine, like, the only way that I can give you the example is the horror film example. Being buried alive. Okay? Or the, the real life example, which is the person that's gone into the operation and you think that they're knocked out, but they're not. And we've heard that happening. The anesthesia didn't work, they're, they're feeling everything, oh, it's half worked basically, and they're paralyzed in terms of physical response, but they're feeling all the pain internally, fully aware of the situation. Just imagine being that person, right? That's easy for everyone to assume and understand, right? Well, that's actually happened a number of cases, right? We have that, we have litigation going on for that happening, you know, mistakes by the anesthetist, blah, 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 blah. So I want you to imagine that dying is not that far removed from that, all right? And the reason why it's even more important than the example of, of the operation is because when this person is there and they're in a state between delirium, pain, consciousness and, and everything and rotating between the two, 
Unfortunately, we're going back to type, being very materialistic about it, and thinking if this person's speaking and eyes are open, then this person's sensing. But bro, you as a believer know that this moment has nothing to do with the physical realm. You know that everything that's happening right now is something outside of what I can observe and what I can understand. It is entirely metaphysical. We have angels that are everywhere and you can't see them, right? You are there creating a vibe and a mood in which the angels want to stay. You mess that up, the angels go. Who suffers? They do. At this moment in, the, in time, their soul is about to be pulled out. If they are a kafir, and if you've ever been there at the, at the, at the death of a kafir, there's absolutely no difference between, this is a, another misconception, that somehow they die in some agony compared to the believer, great yani, you know, scholar or something. They both look, both look exactly the same. They just breathe their last, especially in what is the, the most common and only going to increase way of dying, which is palliative care, which is very, very controlled breathing, controlled morphine, controlled everything. Just let them go nice and smooth. You're not seeing any difference between believer, good believer, munafiq, mujrim, kafir. This. You're not seeing anything. But what we know is the zameen asman fark between them. One is having their soul ripped out through their uh, mouth and they are dying in a pain which can't even be imagined. And the other one is bloop, just out like a water from a balloon and beautiful and uh, on their way. You can't see that and it's happening, right? And so if you think and reflect upon these um, uh, 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 hadith and ayat and, and, and this fact, you then realize that you are responsible for trying to control a situation that you can't see and measure. And therefore you go in with a very, very set kind of um, uh, objective that is not about what I observe, it's what I have to ensure happens. The rest is, is left to Allah. And so what can you control? You can control the people who are going to come in. You can control the light levels that are in there. You can control where the music is playing or whether there's a conversation going on. You can control whether there are people that you know that in the last moments before he was unconscious or in these moments that he hated or loved or the things that you know that he didn't or wouldn't or she wouldn't want to see or hear. Some kind of argument, some kind of power struggle, some kind of bickering. You want to have people that are going to be reciting. You want to have pe- you're, you're looking at two angles. You're looking at making sure that the angels hang around because as long as the angels stay, we've got a good thing going on. And the second thing is that we don't want to let this person die in regret. They can see and feel the emotion in a room. They can see in the eyes of folks who are angry at one another and the like. So there does need to be a person, and this is why I like what he said. He only said uh, similar to that, but I know exactly what he's referring to. He's saying that obviously the obvious thing of saying la ilaha is one thing, but someone who is Rashid and the one who understands the game, he's assessing everything that's happening outside and letting people in with clear instruction that I want you to sit there, I want you to stand there, I want you to make the I want you to smile, I want you to say good things, I want you, and everything else, you know, and, you know, making sure that there's not a clash in the room of personality, he's just working it out very nicely. And that's a whole management system. Right? And so this could go, on for, could go on for a while, could be weeks, could be months, could be obviously a couple of days. Anyway, a very, very important uh, point for us to consider. This is a legal excuse to not attend not just the Jama'ah, but the Jama'ah as well. Um, so uh, Hadith says, Hadith, just call him Hadith, bro. Hadith, okay. We, we said we only call him Hadith when we were upset with him. We're not upset with him. We're not upset with him. Although Shazad is not in a good mood today, by the way. And then he said that I'm not in a good mood today. Obviously, I said to him, Shazad, is there any day that you're in a good mood? Yeah. Uh, 
Ross, did you say about that? Straight in. Oof. So this is a, 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 a questions are not a challenge. Uh, now he's upset me, Haris. Okay, questions are not a challenge, bro. Right? Um, he goes, how do we know that a person who's about to die knows everything? Because usually they won't be around afterwards to say. It's not something that we know for certain. This is from the Ilmul Ghaib, right? So when I when I say this, I say this not because uh, I someone from the dead has come told me that I heard the whole conversations. It's because. Uh, even medics will tell you that when it comes to the levels, because they're not giving them general anesthetics, and not everybody's in a coma. Obviously, there'll be certain people that are completely in a vegetative state. But even for those people, I'm willing to put, as you'll see in the fiqh of death, and there's a lot of stuff to talk about in that, right? But I'm willing to go to a place where I say that everything that we think we know from science and from facts and from whatever, whatnot, I'm willing to park it. And I'm a man of science and I'm in the medical field and I've been there for dying people. And I can tell you that there's something very, bro, bro, if you're saying to me, I can't see or, or you know, how do they know? The much more obvious question is not about, you know, what a person can hear or not hear. How is it that we believe yaqeen and take me now 100% believe and die on this that this kafir here is dying in unbelievable pain and has got a big smile on his face. And then we've got this believer whose absolutely face is contorted, dying from bone cancer uh, uh, or, or some hor horrible, uh, uh, not bone cancer, that would be palliative, but some horrible accident, okay, and dies in pain. Yet we know that is the death of, shah of, 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 of shahada, he's a shaheed and everything is absolutely la-di-da for this person in the moment. So... If I believe in that, like Abu Bakr said, you think I have a problem believing that he can see or hear or understand what you're saying or not saying? And he doesn't need to. He doesn't need to see or hear everything. I don't need to prove that. The, uh, the ulama, when they are talking about um, creating the vibe, everything that I've said is something which is obligatory anyway. Right? To bring, to bring angels to a place is, I mean, of course obligatory. To, ensure that people don't argue and that there's no breaking of, 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 of the qatar of al-rahim is obligatory, right? So it's not like any of these are, you know, some off the kind of thingy things. Yeah, Mesa was right. There's not a chance of doing 10 pages. Yeah, go on. Yes. Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, that, yeah Kamar asked a good question. He says, listen, we don't know if a person's going to be going now and whether a person's going to be in weeks or whatever. And so does this mean that this is a, uh, a legal excuse for all that period of time? And the answer is, I think yes. And the reason why is because the person who's using this as a legal excuse is the one person that I don't want to come to the masjid. And I am very happy for them to not come to the masjid. You know, you, you've got two people that you're comparing. You know the one who's using as a blag to basically take the rest of the year off. And you know the guy who comes every single day, doesn't mean it's any single prayer. I'm more than happy that he goes off for three months in palliative care, you know, looking after someone. Because I know that he's hurting more than I'm hurting him not being in a masjid. You get what I'm saying? And that's, I think, an overriding fact. That, of course, is underpinning that famous hadith. That a person gets the reward for everything that they did when they were sahihan, uh, muqiman. When they were, you know, all of the sunnah that they were doing, the nafil they were doing, the traveling they were doing, the attending of the jama'ah they were doing. Suddenly they get an accident, they can't pray the sunnah, they can't pray the extra, they can't go to the masjid. They get rewarded for every single one of those things as if they were doing it. You're not worried about that guy. Allah is not worried about that guy because it's a habit for that person. So I don't mind if a person's taking whatever. And that's what the Muslim should be. They should be in habitual things of all acts. And then when they take that big time off, 
We've got no problem with that. It's a person who's not doing good stuff and then they're taking, you know, a holiday as well. That person's got big problems, right? All right. Um, then at the top of 315, he... Yeah, Zaf. Yeah. When it comes to palliative care, you mentioned dying, which can take weeks and months and very difficult to predict. Surely he's talking about the very last moments of death. He is. He 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 actually only in fact he very specifically speaks about talqeen, which is only to be said when you believe that a person is, you know, yeah, on the way out out. But the wider point that he's making, as as is gonna become clearer. When he starts speaking about, for example, I mean, listen, if uh, one, of the, one of the excuses that he's going to defend is worried that your mates are going to leave without you. Yeah? You get my point, bro? Yeah? So this will become self-explanatory in a second. This is all about fear, emotion that is overwhelming your focus on the salah. That is overcoming, sorry, your focus on the salah. That's the illah, right? Let's, let's see, let's see. So the, the sixth excuse he says, legal excuse, is if he fears something for himself, right? So for example, there could be a dog that's at the end of his road or neighbor, always there at that time, a vicious dog, he says, a qori, a proper mad one. And he knows that he's going to get, you know, roughed up by this dog. That's an excuse. Or for example, something that or he doesn't have shoes, which is very common as well in the Muslim world. Many people don't wear them, but something has happened. You know, there's glass or there's the wind has blown, you know, thorns and all the stuff around. Then this is something which is a legal excuse. And also, for example, if he's, he has a, a wound and doesn't have the ability to put a dressing and the like on it, but, doesn't, uh, uh, but has been told that it going outside and being exposed to the air will damage it further, this is another legal uh, excuse. And then authority, right? Oh, Sultan. Um, this is talking about the authorities who are after him. Now, this is what? If the authorities are after you, this is fear, right? Just you know, an, an, an inability to focus on, on things. You might remember, I, I, I'm pretty sure that I would have discussed this in the Fiqh Salah uh, course, Al-Maghrib's Fiqh Salah, right? And I'm, sure, I'm not sure whether I've discussed it here in LP, the concept of why we allow a person how on what basis can we allow a person to pray sitting down, right, on a plane? And when you see the evidence basis for it, it's not very strong. And the kind of evidences that they put forward were examples, early examples of a discussions amongst the fuqaha of a person who's hiding from, so basically they're after him, the authorities are after him. And of course the caveat here is that they are all dhalim and he's innocent. That's important. It's not because you've, you know, you're a criminal and you can blag it as well, right? Uh, and he makes that very, very clear. This is only for a zalim, authority, ruler, whatever, and you're innocent. And, and obviously, if you're on the run because you've done something wrong and you're not putting yourself up, you're not paying the fine, you're not you know, uh, putting yourself in, you've done something wrong, not only is it not allowed for you to miss a jama'ah, you are obligated for the jama'ah, obligated to turn yourself in, and haram at every moment that you're in. Okay, but now let's go to the scenario where there is a zalim after you. They mentioned that when he's going around hunting for you, looking for you, and the time for salah comes, obviously they, what they do, they crawl around, don't they? Because it's a visual thing, right? And so they said that when the time for salah comes, and you know that if you put your head up, then you'll be seen, you're allowed to pray sitting down. Now, if you think about this, this person's able to stand up. 
So if he's being allowed to pray sitting down, the only reason that he's being allowed to is overwhelming fear. Overwhelming fear of being hooked up. Now the truth is, is that there are people, unfortunately, that get encompassed and, and enveloped by this overwhelming fear on a plane. Right? That's the, 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 I don't know, you know. I mean, you know, I do know. It's the same like, you know, why people, some people don't like praying outside. Right? There are people that always need to go to a masjid. And there are people who are just completely comfortable, mostly, you know, very streetwise. And they'll rock up in any corner, on any street, and any stairwell. And it's time for salah, we pray right here, no problem. It takes obviously a level of confidence, doesn't it? Yeah? In a plane, it takes an extra level of confidence. Feel under pressure, people feel like, you know, others, everyone's looking at you. People think that if I say, you know, my takbir a bit too loud, someone's going to shoot me in the head. Whatever. So there is this idea of fear, and that's how the scholars allowed people to pray sitting down if that was too much overwhelming. Reluctantly though, because it's not great as a basis. Yeah? They are far more likely to tell you that you are allowed to pray sitting down if there's no space to stand up or because it's illegal to stand up. And on my video on the uh, uh, praying on a plane, I mentioned that people think that there's space in emergency exits. This is not a place for prayer. This is an emergency exit. And, and the, the pathway along the side is not a place for prayer. This is for people to pass and do their thing. And the place in front of the bathroom is a place in front of the bathroom, right? And you know, oh, you know what? Baji said to me, I can pray in the kitchen. Baji said to you that you can pray in the kitchen only because you put pressure upon her, right? But now she's got three people who want, you know, a couple of drinks and now she's standing like a lemon, right? Waiting for you to, you know, get up out of the kitchen, right? You're putting other people, you can't do that behavior. So we say you pray in your chair. So we can justify from angles, but the point I want to make is I remember reading a fatwa from Sheikh Al-Thamin many years ago, not from uh, Zad al-Mustaqni, this is from his Noor al-Darbi and his radio station, uh, his radio uh, show where he used to Q&A, where he mentioned the justification for uh, sitting down before we get into the issue of space and prohibited areas. That fear, that overwhelming uh, fear. Um, the next one's interesting as well. So you owe someone some money, right? but he doesn't have the money to pay for this person. He goes, this is the seventh reason, all right? And this guy's on his case. On his case, Not only has he asked people, where is the guy? But he's on his case, like, you know, trying to find him. He's going around, he's sent his people out. And he's just overwhelming you all the time, putting pressure upon you all the time. The key here, he doesn't have the money to pay him back. So the guy's thing is legitimate. But he doesn't have the money to pay him back, and so this is just too much stress. So this is uh, so again stress levels. Ultimately, this is what we're talking about, isn't it? If someone is you owe someone money, huck money, you owe them money, and they're asking for it, and you don't have the ability to give it, you're in the wrong there. You're not sinful unless you took that money and wasted it. You're not sinful because but. Your stress level is crazy. This person has the permission to not attend the jama'ah, the public kind of event, so that the stress levels don't go through the roof. So you see, yes, it is a bit subjective, but it's also eye-opening how important it is to be in the right state of mind. Also, obviously, you can see that there could be some real abuse going on as well, you know, of, this, of these rules. Especially, you know, Generation uh, Gen Z, every day they're like, yeah, you know what, I don't feel like today I can do my jama'ah. It's so difficult to not take Gen Z down in anything, by the way. Anything. Anyway. So this is an udhr. Okay, this is an udhr. 
Um, and he goes that um, uh, if he has the money, then he has to pay it. And if he doesn't pay it, then he is sinful on not, not uh, fulfilling the haqq of Allah, which is attending jama'ah, and the haqq of the person who's lent the, the money to you, uh, 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 lent you the money and needs it back. Question, Sheikh says, if, there, if, if, he, if he has time left in his, in his debt, so he's not due for another year and the guy's on your case, whether you got the money or not is irrelevant now, but the point now is that you've got time to pay but he's on your case, he's always asking you, he's always stressing you out. Um, does he have the permission to stay back in this scenario? Does he have the permission to miss the jama'ah in this scenario? He goes, in this situation, we look, at, we look at it in more detail. This is interesting. He goes, if the authorities and the system of governance is good and strong, and they will be able to tell this guy, you know, step away, don't go asking for him or bothering him. He's got plenty of time to pay uh, back the uh, uh, money. So you don't have any haqq to do that right now. Okay? Then he has to go to the jama'ah. Then he has to go to the jama'ah because the authorities are dealing with that level of stress and he's got no real pressure on his head. Okay? Uh, he goes, but if the authorities are not going to get involved, they say it's not our problem. And or the guys themselves are like, you know, gangsters and they don't really care about the authorities. So even though he's got time to pay it, but they're not giving him time to pay it. He goes, this is still, uh, this is of course a reason. Bila shak, no doubt that that is a reason to Mr. Prayer. So back to the point, right? Emotional disturbance, stability, spiritual stability is a very important aspect of the uh, preparation for the prayer. Yeah. Obviously, they're talking about you know emotional kind of the issues of the heart and things like that, uh, and many of these kind of reasons haven't been kind of backed up by specific evidence or specific Quran uh, ayat, and so it's just a list. Uh, so one of the questions is that what's the difference between the state of the heart and khushu? Where's the distinction between the two for for retaining that you know we should have khushu in our prayer? And, and so yeah, and so, so it, uh, yeah, the difference, the difference is, is that it's clear that you just can't keep adding to the list one's own, ability, one's own deficiencies in the prayer. Person not making any effort to learn any surahs. Person not making any effort to learn any Arabic. Person not making any effort to um, come early, for example, for the jama'ah and get the stress of the travel and the irritation of not being able to park straight away and whatever. This is why people should come early. To minimize that stress and then take it out on two rakah, right? Even though we shouldn't disrespect two rakah for the masjid, but you'd rather mess up in those two than to mess up then come into the, the four of the fard and all over the place, blah, blah, blah. So there's no doubt that khushur itself has its own parameters and everything else you may think has no evidence for it directly, but What's clear is that they are external factors that have direct, you can trace directly, right? A person's own laziness and a person's own, uh, well, yeah, laziness. So what would be the ultimately, uh, ultimately like, 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 like even waswasa. Yeah. Everybody's attacked by waswasa. But the person of knowledge is the one who's least attacked by waswasa. So it's not rocket science, is it? person should study more. 
person should understand the cave of shaitan more. Understand his tricks, his plans, his moves. Understand how he's going to come for you and you specifically. Everybody knows. Everybody knows their weak point about what it is, about the kind of things I forget. Then when I'm in salah, it comes for me and everything I remember in salah about this, 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 this. So you've got to be able to target shaitan yourself. It's about active, focused, fighting back. Those are very, very clear, the, 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 the internal responsibilities that we have. Whereas external factors that cause a disturbance are what we're talking about. External factors that cause a disturbance. Then he goes, um, then he says, what? Huh. Oh, uh, he fears fawati rifqa. He's fearing that his people are going to leave. Now, again, this is not like, you know, um, uh, uh, if you translate this literally, this could be like your guests kind of leaving the house before you kind of go. No, no. This is all of you on a journey and all of you move together. And the reason you're in a journey is because of safety in numbers and you've got a guy who knows the way. And the whole point is, is that if you hold them back and they can't keep having these interruptions, they're going to go. And that's going to be a disaster for you because you're going to get lost. You're going to get confused. You're going to end up in danger. But all of these come back to fear, isn't it? Right? And he actually mentions something interesting. He goes, this is Udr for two reasons. This is a legal excuse for two reasons. The first is that, um, well, if... Uh, 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 what, 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 what does Rifqa actually mean? It means a, a, a company. He goes, if you go for the Salah, you've broken the actual meaning of company. The whole point of them accompanying you is that they are with you. So they're either with you in the Jama'ah or they're not. And if they're not because they want to move on and you separate yourself, then what was the point of going there in, in the first place? So he goes that if you wait for the Salah or go for the Salah, you've actually broken the objective that you went and joined them in the first place for, which was safety in numbers, be with them together, and you suddenly go off to pray because, you know, you want to pray in a jama'ah. And they're like, guys, we've got a program, we have a system, we need to be moving on. So that's the first point. The second point, he goes, and this is the key that I want to bring as Zafar. His heart is just completely consumed by where are they? This is what I spoke about last week, right? About the kids, bringing the kids to the masjid, right? Everyone's like, yeah, yeah, you know, great. I want them practicing, blah, 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 three-year-old, four-year-old practicing. What do you can practice, right? Three, four year old, the only thing that's happening is your entire prayer is like, where are they? What are they doing now? Okay, now, okay, now it's gone quiet. Oh my God, that little rat, where is he now? Your whole prayer is consumed by thinking about the kid. And so here he goes, if he hears the people getting ready, they're all now getting ready and packing up and you can hear their voices and you're there in the prayer because you're the holy one, right? I'm praying Jama'ah, whatever. What was the value of your prayer? Whilst it's all happening and you just don't know, you know, they're going to leave without me, they're going to leave without me, right? So, uh, he goes, you're going to become anxious and, and you're going to be all over the place and so on. And he makes a point. He goes, and it doesn't matter whether the, the uh, journey itself that you're on is a, a, a suffer of ta'a or ibaha. A suffer of ta'a is a, 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 a journey that's leading to reward and uh, an act of worship intrinsically, like going for Umrah or going for a pilgrimage of some sort. And uh, he goes the, or to study. And the other form of safar, the, uh, the mubah safar, is like to go and do business or to see family or something like that. It doesn't matter what the reason is. The issue here is the overwhelming sense of, I'm going to miss out, something's going to happen. Again, mental stability, spiritual uh, 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 stability. 
uh, or that he over, gets overcome with drowsiness or sleep. Now you might think, man, that's like every Jum'ah. <laughs> now, what we're talking about here is not you getting bored with the Mulvi, yeah, or the Khatib. Otherwise, we'd never come yani, to here, would we? Yeah? No, this is about something happening, and we can't be like taking this as the norm, like, you know what, I'm, I'm tired every single Friday, right? No, it's a case of like you had an extra long day the day before, or you had an extra yeah, bad night the night before, whatever. The point being that when you get to the Jum'ah or the Jama'ah, both of them now, and you are literally sleepwalking all the way through, then what was the point? He says very clear, uh, well, he is in the absolute throes of drowsiness. He doesn't even know what he's saying himself. By the way, I don't know whether you've been there, I've been there, right? Not, I don't think in a masjid uh, uh, like this, yeah. Not, never coming to a masjid, but whilst I've been in a masjid for a long time, like seven hours, 10 hours, whatever, whatnot, then, yeah, I know exactly what that feels, where you don't know whether you're standing, whatever, suddenly you're, everyone's sitting down, and you're looking around, you're not sure whether you gave salams or not, everyone's getting up, you know. That's one of those crazy ones, where you're that tired, right? So, he's saying, you know, what's even the point of that? Um, he goes that, upon this person, obviously, is to be aware of this potential threat to himself, and take a nap, sleep as much as possible, as minimum as possible to get himself in the fit state to be able to then attend the salah and you know be able to fulfill its rights but if he isn't able to get that done and he did it you know not out of some kind of blag then this is a legitimate reason to not attend the jama'ah or the jama'ah abdullah as opposed to Yeah, and you, you, your, your point being that, that even if you're ta- uh, you're saying that that should be the way that we decide how much a person is um, held accountable to that, yeah? Possibly, but that's, that's something which is intrinsic to the salah itself, right? Not necessarily, for example, the Jum'ah is not all salah, right? And the khutbah is obligatory as well. And you're not saying anything in the khutbah. You're listening to someone. So I don't think that's their illa per se, but certainly for a prayer intrinsically per se in these two scenarios, that's, that's, that's an illa, no doubt. Exactly as the Sheikh said, exactly as the ayah uh, uh, says. All right, the next one is all being harmed by rain or by mud. And we spoke about this last week, right? And this is obviously subjective because obviously if you are living in an area where... Um, uh, it's all concreted and pavements, then the harm from that is minimized. Sheikh says that the, the, what is the actual harm? The soaking of his clothes or, or the really cold environment, the cold weather. That's the intrinsic harm, right? Now, why is that important? He said that even if the, he goes, if the rain is raining, if it goes, if it's raining, uh, huh? Like Jum'ah last week, what happened was it? It was raining the second one, yeah? Soaked, yeah, but that's, that's nice rain though, that. Oh, it got soaked, yeah. Is that because you were wearing Aston Villa's kit? Yeah. You see, this is a problem. When you're wearing kits, you're going to show your pecs off, then of course that's going to happen, isn't it? 
<laughs> when he came to Pakistan, like it was. The uh, Sheikh here, he says, he goes, for example, um, you'll find sometimes, you know, where the, under the bridges and the stuff, the water starts to gather together. It starts to flood in small places, but the rest of the area is all fine. He goes, um, in this scenario, a person might not get affected in their locality of where they are, where they're, they're walking. So everything is to be considered in its right sense. But he goes that in a certain uh, uh, situation, the harm is when the rain is actually raining, but when it stops, then the excuse is stopped. And that's very interesting to me because actually for us, we would say that, that whether the, 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 the rain itself is not necessarily the big issue because we've got coats and so on and so forth, but it's what happens due to the rain, the driving conditions or the puddles or the lack of parking and, and the like. And what Sheikh Uthameen is kind of like indicating is a quite a wide interpretation of this. So that if a person's getting soaked, this is bad enough. If the area is leading to harm and to get your clothes getting extra dirty and then you're having to then spend extra above and beyond what you normally would be doing to wash your clothes, because again, that's a rare thing to do and having to do it yani regular, then that should be something that is uh, 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 seen as a uh, excuse, right? He goes that, but most of the time in our cities, it's not going to be, and I told you about this last week, with our raincoats and big jackets, we don't get harmed by the rain, we don't get harmed by the walking in the, the area of the rain, but of course there are places that do. And I told you about Egypt, and I told you about the villages, and he says here as well that there are some places that really do uh, uh, suffer. And that's why, you know, the Mu'addineen of the Prophet Sallallahu is narrated in Bukhari, that used to say, stay at prayer in your homes, prayer in your homes. So we did that last week. Now, uh... Uh, and the Sheikh says uh, that if it's only a little bit of rain and it doesn't do much anything, then, then you shouldn't worry about it. And you should, you know, make ihtisab. Now, I have a problem with this statement. He says, He's trying to motivate people and say that any little bit of difficulty that, that you know, afflicts you, your clothes get a little bit wet, you get a little bit dirty, then remember that any little bit of difficulty, and he goes, yasira, any minor difficulty, you get rewarded for. So you could argue then, well, you know what? Then I want to be rewarded for the big things as well. I want to take on the big mashaqqa. And it could be argued that that's valid, right? But I think what Sheikh Uthameen wants to bring the point, and this is the correct way of doing this, academically and scholarly way, is to say, but you're not required to. And to make it clear, you know, not to set the standards too much. And that's very important because sometimes we, our josh, it kind of overtakes us. We're going to boycott this. We're going to stop that. We're going to do this. And you know what? The dean didn't put it on you like that. Don't, make, put, don't create a trap for yourself. Don't set yourself you know, a standard that you can't keep up with. And how many hadith from differing companions do we have that did that? And the Prophet each time warned them that easy or you know, half that, less than that. Don't do that. And everyone's trying to go for the big ones, right? And so that's why I think it's very nice that Sheikh Uthami makes that point that uh, the little ones, the little difficulties, bear with them and get the reward of that. Then he, call, then he states uh, the final one, a cold, harsh wind in the darkness of night. He goes, this is the 11th excuse and the conditions is that it should be cold and because and he says because obviously a warm wind isn't a problem at all and a cold wind, is, cold wind is and it chills you to the bone and it causes pain and it's horrible. He goes second, he goes, has to be harsh. 
because a gentle wind didn't cause anything to anybody. Everybody loves a gentle wind, so it can't be gentle. And then he goes, the third one is that it's got to be a dark night. And he goes, this itself has no evidence. He goes, what does a dark night have to do with anything? It can be in the morning, it could be in the half time, it could be in a whatever, it, it doesn't matter. And there's no evidence and no basis for the dark night at all. And, you, and, he, go, and he mentions the hadith of Bukhari or the, the athar from Bukhari that they, it, it didn't it mention the rih, which is barida and shadida, didn't mention that it was dark nights. Yeah? And also, common sense, as Sheikh brings the point, he goes, what's a dark night got to do with Jum'ah? There's no such thing that a dark night for Jum'ah prayer. Yeah? So the dark night is not a uh, condition in of itself. And therefore, Sheikh says, he goes, uh, he goes, the way to summarize this whole thing, Sheikh says that the most important thing is the level of difficulty or the problem or the harm that's caused. As long as harm is being caused or there is difficulty, that's the actual reason and that's your excuse. Therefore, you can apply it. Okay, then you can apply it. And if the rain or the wind, or the darkness, or the mud, or the most or the dog, or the authorities, or the ex means absolutely nothing to you, right? Like COVID used to be, right? People were like, COVID, man, COVID, I can't go to the masjid. And they're out there partying and going to the malls and whatever, but suddenly this is the center of bloody COVID. Like as if the masjid is the COVID spreader. And they're there in offices and yeah, well, whatever, whatever, Katie and Lucy and God knows what. <coughs> can't get Katie Lucy out of my head. So, that's important, okay? That the idea of uh, um, uh, understanding what the illa is, the actual shari'i reason. All right. Sheikh now asks, um, puts a few scenarios in. Mesa, eat your words. Eat your words. Watch these next four pages done in the next 10 minutes, okay? Because alhamdulillah, Sheikh finishes off this chapter by posing a number of questions, all right? Nice way that he ends this chapter. He goes, mas'ala, the first one. He goes, can a person... Uh, uh, stay at home because the imam recites for too long? Can we add that as a 12th excuse? He says, absolutely. Absolutely. He goes, He goes, if this is above the, the, the level of the sunnah, then absolutely. Because people have got life to live, work to do, this, that, whatever, whatnot. And he goes, we have the hadith. He goes that the, in, uh, uh, Sheikh Uthameen says, in Bukhari, the Prophet ﷺ didn't criticize the guy who walked out on the prayer. He criticized the Imam, who was Mu'adh ibn Jabal, for elongating the prayer. So of course this is a, a, a reason that allows a person to do that. He goes, second question. Next question. Is the speediness of the Imam an excuse? Speediness. What do you think? He goes, that's even more of an excuse than the first one. He goes, that's even worse than the first one. He goes, at least in the first one, you can hear and understand and you can benefit and you can, you've got a proper prayer going on. He goes, in the speed of the prayer, you don't know whether you're, you're doing your wajib, you're doing your arkan, you're up and down. Not the Ferrari imams and you know, those kind of, you know, up and down, up and down, whatever. You don't know what's happening. You're, you know, you're up and, you know, whatever. So, he goes, if he's going so fast, He goes, if a person is not even able to fulfill the obligations, then he is ma'adhur Ah, this masjid. It doesn't mean that you now can just chill at home. This is a masjid that you are excused from. 
Now you've got to make your way to another masjid uh, which prays properly. Now next question is going to be that, okay, I can do that, but that's half an hour away. So am I meant to go now for half an hour? I did last week was mentioning, um, you know, that, um, uh, you know, that he's living in a rural community. Does he need to go to a masjid which is half an hour away? No, he doesn't. No, he doesn't. Right? That's a distance. And there's no easy way to say what is, it, what is the right distance. Because every, every second spent going in that way is a good thing. But obligating a person to have to go half an hour or even 20 minutes or 25 minutes to attend a jama'ah is something which is beyond what the sunnah has described as an obligation. Right? And by the way, again, a person might say, lovely, I'm moving out to the, to the rural parts. But then you need to be reminded that you are obligated to set up a jama'ah where, the, where you are there. Like there's no blagging this deen, you know what I mean? You might be able to get away from that jama'ah then, but now you've realized that now you need to set up a jama'ah, a prayer hall, a musallah here. But just, you know, to prove the point that that's what needs to be done. Next question. He goes, what if the imam is a fasiq, shaves his beard, clean shaven, smokes, he, uh, 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 oh, thobe, you know, Sheikh Uthameen, very strict on the lowering of the garment below the ankles, wearing basically uh, clothes below the ankles. Um, can you leave this one? So he goes, well, this depends upon your opinion on such a, a, a person. In the Hanbali school, the prayer behind this person is not valid. And therefore, it's something that you don't attend at all and you've got to find somewhere else to go. He goes, but we consider class position, sheikh position, that the prayer behind such a person is valid. And because it's a valid prayer, you have to attend. You have to attend, okay? Because the prayer itself is valid, yeah? The second, not another question. What if the... He says that what if you're, uh, uh, you know, you've done bad things, all right, and you know that you're going to get caught if you go outside, right? Are you excused from going to the masjid? Sheikh guys, come on, man. I mean, if you, you are the first person who needs to go out there and get yourself caught. Because you're taking away from two haqq here, the haqq of Allah and the haqq of the people who need to hold you accountable. He goes, um, another one, are you excused from going to the masjid if on the way you've got all kinds of nakedness and, you know, going through, uh, uh, basically he's talking about Bukhari Center, yeah? You've got to go through the clubs to get there and you've got to go through the, yani whatever, whatnot. How many years did me, Shaz and Abdullah here, we go to Bukhari Center and it's a club underneath, it's a club, you know, one of those karaoke, karaoke bakwasis where they stand on a table and sing, whatever. Huh? Crazy Wendy's. Crazy Wendy's. See, she has remembered his name because he, <laughs> yeah, right? And I don't know what it was, and it's like the, the stylish part of Didsbury, trendy bakwas, you know? So you've got all people left, right, and center. And we are there going through the, the most suspicious way of going in. One door up the stairs, you know, one of those behaviors to the, basically like going up to your office. Yeah, like that. No indication that we're going anywhere other than some secret kind of, uh, mission. Anyway, he goes, is that an excuse to not go out? Goes, Sheikh goes, absolutely not. Not at all. And he has to forbid the evil. He needs to advise the people. And he goes that if you advise the people and warns them and they accept it, then great for him and great for them. And if he goes out and he warns the people and they reject him, then great for him and tabban for them. Good luck to them. How many does it say? Well, um, you know, I might have gone in and said a few words. I might have gone in and, you know, put a few orders in to just develop the hearts. 
we had some, we have, we have some stories from that behavior, bro. Not, the 90s was a wild time. The 2000s were even wilder. Uh, yeah. Uh, so, okay, I've got to be quick because I don't want to give the, 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 the thingy the, uh, the, the satisfaction I didn't make it. What about um, if in the middle of the prayer, next question, something like these things happen? So we're now talking about not attending the jama'ah from being at home. Yeah? But what about if you're actually in the salah? Is the mu'addin there? Is he there? Yalla, go on. Does he know? Alright, so the next point that he makes is if the problem occurs in the middle of the prayer itself, one of these excuses, right? Can a person, you know, what can they do? So he gives the example of someone who needs to go to the toilet. Can this person now do something to his prayer behind the Imam? Sheikh says yes. He can not break from the prayer, but he breaks off from the jama'ah. So that basically is next to you. Suddenly you see him go for ruku. That's what's happening there. He's praying and finishing by himself. Started with the imam, realizes an emergency, can't be you know, hanging around because he expects the imam to recite for you know, semi-long or sunnah length. And today in his emergency because of the toilet, he can't have sunnah length. He has to forego a surah kind of thing. So he finishes the prayer in a couple of minutes and off he goes. Sheikh says that's allowed. 
He goes, however, it's not allowed to do that if actually the emergency that you are, uh, or the excuse that, or the problem that you are using is not going to be alleviated by you finishing. Does that make sense? He gives the example of the authorities chasing him, the Zalim authorities. He goes, well, that's clearly not an excuse because actually that's worse because if he's finishing the prayer first and then legging it, he's going to be seen regardless. Whereas if he waits and finishes with the group, you know, he might be able to escape easier or whatever. The point is, is that there's got to be an impact on him keeping with the jama'ah to allow him to break from the jama'ah. He goes, and this is the same for whether he breaks from the jama'ah and stays in the prayer or cuts off the prayer entirely. He goes, it's allowed for him to leave the prayer if he realizes that he cannot complete this prayer like the way that it is required. Okay, like it is uh, uh, required. So for example, uh, that person who's coming to rough him up, you know, the one who wants the money, even though he doesn't owe it and he can hear him coming and it's, you know, destroying his head and everything and he hears the shouts outside and he just basically legs it. That's a, 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 an excuse to do that. Sheikh says, are any of these excuses um, an excuse to push a prayer out of its time? So now we're not talking about attending the jama'ah, we're now saying that you've got these problems at home, for example. Can you use it to not pray on time? In other words, combine the prayer. And the answer is yes. That is on a case-by-case, -case, it's something which is permissible, especially on the issue of going to the toilet. So a person was all planning, all, you know, everything was going fine. He's about to pray and then realizes that, you know, he's got some incontinence problem or got some other issue or got diarrhea or whatever. And he then realizes that, to go now and deal with this is going to lead to me now not being able to offer dhuhr, for example, in dhuhr time. Person from that moment should say, okay, that's fine. I'm relaxed about that. Make the intention right there and then I'm going to combine my dhuhr later with the next prayer because that's a legitimate option available. And then he goes and he deals with his emergency issue and problem. And that is an actual valid excuse to combine the prayer. And people might be thinking, where's the emergency? Where's the jihad? Where's the... Where's the traveling? Where's the 50 miles? And where's the etc. etc. And we say that this is why we know that the reason to combine the prayer is not so specific to these things, but rather some level of difficulty. And the evidence for that is the hadith that we mentioned, the hadith of Abdullah ibn Abbas is narrated in Sahih Muslim, hadith number 705, that the Prophet ﷺ, he combined between Dhuhr and Asr. Rasulullah jama'a bayna Dhuhr wal Asr. So he was in Medina. That's what Ibn Abbas wanted to bring to everybody's attention. He's at home and he's combined between Dhuhr and Asr and he combined between Maghrib and Isha. There was no fear of war, there was no impending army and there was no rain either. And they asked Ibn Abbas what did he intend by that and he said so that my ummah does not face difficulty. I've put a little kind of ace card in there that when the situation arises and Allah knows, and that person will know, because if they're abusing it every day for X, Y, Z reason, then everybody knows. But a person who genuinely has an emergency, how many people have an emergency like once or twice a year? Khalas. A couple of times a year, ten times a year, that's okay. That's the reason that the, the combining a concession is there for. You will know when you need it. If you strict, stick to it strictly and pray all your prayers on time and don't combine, you will be the most deserving to be able to use it 20 times in a year. It's all about the integrity of the person. All right, next question. He goes, um, uh, someone who's eating onion. 
Are they allowed to miss the Jum'ah and the Jama'ah? Okay, is that something? Then Sheikh says, well, before we say that, is it even allowed to eat it or not? Okay, is it allowed when you know that a person who eats onions or garlic or strong smelling things that harm other people, is it even allowed for them to eat that kind of food? And Sheikh says that if a person says, a person eats it to, to avoid going to the masjid, if he's that, yeah, and he messed in the head, he goes, of course, that's haram. He goes, and there could be people out there that use it as an excuse. You know what, let me smack that down and alhamdulillah, I can now enjoy my meal, right? But he goes, if there's a person who really enjoys onions and eats them all the time, and it's not normally a problem, but this time he messed up the timing, and he now realizes I don't have my normal sweets, so I don't have my normal opportunity. I'm not at home, for example, so I can brush my teeth, which is what I normally do. And if I now go from this restaurant to this place now, I'm going to cause a scene. This is something which is allowed for you to uh, not attend. And this person will not be punished. And the, the, the question is asked, will this person get rewarded for the prayer because he normally goes to the prayer, but this time he ate the onion and he, he didn't go to the prayer? And the hadith states, That if my slave becomes ill or travels, it will be written for him what that person used to do when he was not traveling, when he was healthy, Right? And so the, uh, when a person is ill and they don't attend the jama'ah, every one of their prayer is rewarded like a step after in jama'ah, which is from the rahmah of Allah. We spoke about that last year. Is this guy from the onion eater, is he the same? Sheikh says, absolutely not. They're not the same. Because this person is not attending for the sake of other people, not for himself. He's actually keeping himself at home to not harm other folks. He goes a complete different uh, uh, basis and reason. Um, and then Sheikh says, what about if he's got some kind of uh, smell? Uh, uh, you know, he's wearing something that's going to harm the other people. Then, um, is this the same? So he's put on, for example, some very heavy, heavy perfume. Oud or Bukhur kind of thing. Which, you know, is so strong that it makes people cough. You know, sometimes you're going to a person is really like kind of harmful. Um, he goes, is this, is this the same? What's the situation here? He goes, no, this is not the same. Because with the onions and with the, that kind of uh, uh, things, you know, knew what it was. You knew the issue and you took it knowing that there's a risk of that. Whereas it's not the norm for people to get harmed by a person's perfume. This was not your choice. Most people will probably be okay, but some people are getting harmed by it. No, we can't use this as an example. You need to be attending the jama'ah. It's not something which is a, uh, 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 an excuse. And then he goes, what about the one who smokes? And, uh, and obviously that hurts a lot of people. That's horrible, disgusting to be next to a smoker. Um, and it's not permissible for him to obviously... Uh, abuse everybody else's yani, you know, khushur. Um, and he goes that there's absolutely no doubt that this is the same category. So a person will turn around and say, well, you know, then if the person is not, you know, smoking and not coming to the masjid, right, then that's an excuse for him. Well, of course, not an excuse. It's haram when he's doing the smoking, haram that he's not coming to the masjid, haram from everything. And he makes an interesting point here. He goes, and perhaps there's a benefit in this right here, that one of the reasons that this has been such a strict rule that it's not very strictly applied nowadays, by the way, but it should be, that we are strict in saying that people who smoke should not come to the masjid is to make them understand the value of the prayer and make them miss it and make them realize what they're missing out from not being in a masjid 
so that they are forced to actually stop that because of what they're missing out. Now that might be slightly idealistic, okay, but it's true. Yeah, and whatever you say or not, it's true. And the reason I wanted to, I, I wanted to highlight this point is it goes back to the, the age-old question that we spoke about. And remember when Sheikh Walid uh, attended and he gave the session on those that uh, do not, uh, uh, have not prayed historic prayers and can they make it up or not. And we're looking at it always in a legal kind of way. Can you make it up or not? Do you have to make it up exactly like the four schools say? Or is it now something which has gone and it's been missed and therefore you've just got to replace it with, with, with Tawbah and lots of nafal of the same amount? Yeah. Um, these are two opinions. And as Sheikh Walid said and as the scholars, a few scholars said, not enough. They said, put the legals to the side. This person doesn't deserve to make up this prayer. He doesn't deserve to have his prayer bank filled with the obligatory prayer. Because the obligatory prayer is an honor, and a person who prays it is on a different level. And if you couldn't sort yourself out at the time, when, not when you were a child, but you were an adult, and you didn't pray, then shame on you, good luck to you. And you've got to spend the rest of your life making up for it, right? In other ways, and regret, and, and the like. Now, this ethic doesn't exist, right? Enough. And it's the same ethic that we're using against the smoker. If we're saying, you can't come to the masjid, now imagine that, right? Imagine if we've got a sign out there that if you've smoked, you can't come in. Imagine the uproar, right? That we have no smokers allowed to the masjid. Now, if you get past the, the, the non-PC and the uproar and the cancellation of the masjid, if you get past that, that's a massive impact upon those people. The family pressure, the friends pressure, the, 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 the work pressure, that everyone's going Jum'ah and you're not going. If there's one thing that's going to make him stop smoking, it's that pressure. We should try that one day. Maybe. <laughs> Don't know whether it's an eye error or not, but anyway. Um, and then he ends with this point. He goes, if a person has any kind of wounds or any kind of condition that gets affected by going outside, is that an excuse? And he says, yes. Um, and that is possible, of course. Some people have wounds. And we're going to be discussing certain illnesses next week that, um, that uh, uh, allow a person even though you're able to stand, for example, but under doctor instructions, you shouldn't be doing things. Can you then use that as an excuse or not? So we will speak about that. All right, let's take a few questions. Uh, Baji Iram from Toronto, she says that, what about the strong smell of perspiration, body odor and the like? Some people have this issue. And obviously you are obligated to deal with that. But if a person, uh, the, the, the problem here is that people are not aware. I don't know anybody that says, no, no, I want to come with my dirty uh, body, BO and, you know, fragrance to people. Right? They just can't smell it, or people haven't got the guts to tell them. And so they fall into the same category as the ones who have got the strong perfume that's harming the people. Right? And obviously, the community has got to find a nice, clever way of being able to indicate that in some kind of, you know, whatever uh, uh, way that it's done. And yes, so Eunice, cooking is the same. Right? A person's got to try and protect their clothes. A person's got to try and protect themselves in every way that they know that normal society will get affected by in a gathering, especially a close gathering like the, uh, like the uh, masjid, okay, like the salah as well. Uh, Harris says, what if the masjid has some next level molid program? If that's the only, you know, it's going to be all crazy and all whatever madness, then you go to another masjid. No drama, no major uh, issue. Um, a, a person shouldn't need to uh, make this point. And, and a, a good question here about COVID. Um, are people now excused because of some kind of fear of getting COVID? Are people, yani, you know, especially with the rise now, an increase in hospitalization? Yes, that's something which is allowed. 
and we want to see that behavior consistent in the rest of their societal interactions as well. And so if they are now doing a bit of sign of pseudo-isolating, and they are masking up, and then yeah, it's okay for that to be consistent to the masajid as well. All right? Any final questions? Yeah. And about you telling them how to pray? What do you think? You think you should tell them or not? But they don't get it. They might not get it today, but they might get it tomorrow. They might not get it tomorrow, but they get it next week, right? It's a long game. A long, long game. Have lots and lots of patience. If you have that patience, then you'll find that it will help you. Don't expect things to happen just like that. Give it some time, huh? Give it some time. Ask your parents how long it took them. Ijaz, I only started practicing last year. Khalas. <laughs> 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 Alright guys, barakallahu feekum. Inshallah, hopefully next lesson, 4.50pm from Aqsa bi-idhnillahi ta'ala. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make it easy. Subhanakallahumma bihamdik. Ashadu an la ilaha illa anta astaghfirukallahumma wa atubu alaik. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.